All right, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. My name is Robbie Baxter. I'm the Director of Assimilation here. So glad to worship with you this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to continue in our series from 1 Peter this morning. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. And uh, just to kind of catch us up, to remind us of of some of the things we've been hearing from the book of 1 Peter, um, we saw last week that we are called to cultivate unity as believers for the really for the great reason that we are a royal priesthood. Uh, and that means we're called together as the church to represent our, ki- our great king to, to the world, to represent all that he is for us and all that he has done for us and salvation through Jesus Christ to the world. That, that's our calling in the world. That's our mission. And us cultivate, cultivating unity together enables us to do that, that the world sees us and they see that Jesus has done something to us and, and for us and that we love one another and that we love the world, and that we are on mission with God to bring salvation to uh, the world, a a desperate and and needy world. And so that's one of the implications of of cultivating unity, is that we get to participate more fully in the mission that God has called us to. We get folded into the mission. Um, And now as we come to a difficult passage, I think, for many of us, a a passage about submission to human authorities, we've got to keep that in mind, that, that a lot of it has to do with our calling as people who are folded into the mission of God. You see, if we if we hear this as just sort of an abstract call to submission, we'll be tempted maybe to maybe give, just give it a pass, not really apply it to our lives, to, to fear it maybe. Um, instead, we need to hear it as God's call uh, that will enable us to participate in the mission that he has given us to demonstrate to the world Jesus and to enable them to come to salvation through Jesus too. And so um, us hearing that will encourage us to be able to hear these things and not just think, well, maybe that was fine for the people of Peter's day, but not for me anymore. I live in America. I'm an American and I have rights or, or something like that. Instead, we need to hear it as, no, this is the same message that God has given us uh, for all time to his, to his church to enable us to participate in the mission that he's given us. And so let's hear it in, in that light. Um, we could use it in, we could put it in the language that we've been trying to cultivate lately, the, the language of imperative and indicative. You see, um, this message is, is based on the indicative of who we are as God's people. So we, we have a, an imperative, that means what God has called us to do, namely submit to human authorities, but it's based on the indicative of who we are as, as God's people. So we, we hear that, uh, as difficult as it may be to hear sometimes, as really the outworking of who we are as God's people, and, and a, a good outworking, so that we can participate and be blessed in, in the mission that he has given us. So we could put it in that language too, the language of imperative and indicative. And, and I think this raises a pretty important point for us, too. We're, we're called to submit not first because of who we might be in relation to other people. You see, whether we are weaker or we have less social standing or we just happen to be a lowly citizen instead of the governor or the governor instead of the president or whoever. We're called, first of all, to submit because of who we are as God's people. That, that's, the, that's the paradigm, so to speak, that God's given us. Not submit because of who you are in relation to so-and-so, but to submit because of who you are in relation to me and the mission that I've given you to submit and, and the way in which that gets uh, demonstrated to the world as, as beautiful and wonderful because it shows, us, it shows the world that we value something other than, than the things that they value. Namely, we value Jesus and not, first of all, our rights or our power or adva- our advantage in the world. So it, it means that implication too. Now, we got to be careful, though, because that, does that mean that we are just to rubber stamp every act of government? Or does it mean that we should never be critical or think through some of the assumptions that get folded into the way our culture thinks about things? No, it doesn't mean that. But it does mean our first question is, what does God require me here? 
Well, what, does, what, does, what is the Lord doing, and how do I get, um, or how, how does my response to certain events seek to demonstrate uh, the beauty of the gospel and the authority of Jesus and the way in which I value things that are different from the things the world values, or how might my response not do that? How might, how might my response merely just mimic the, the same sort of concerns and uh, emotional appeals that the world makes? So our first concern is, what does God require me? Uh, what does God require of me here? That's the main question. And it's the main question because we belong to him. He has called us to be his priests in the world and to image forth the gospel in the world. And we don't seek change for our own sake, and we don't seek our uh, advantage. We, we seek to, most of all, demonstrate the war, to the world the glory of Jesus and the, the good that comes from following him. So we could ask it in the question. You, you would, as you see, the, the first question there is uh, in, your, in your bulletin, um, what is your only comfort in, in life and death? And some of you will recognize that. That's the first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. And it's a good question to start with when we think about the Christian life because it reminds us we belong to Jesus. That's the answer to that question. Our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to Jesus. And he has fully paid for all of our sins and delivered us from the power of the devil. And he watches over us in such a way that without the will of our Heavenly Father, not even a hair can fall from our head. And so that's, that's the great wonderful uh, truth about the Christian life is that we belong to Jesus. And that enables us then to do hard things sometimes, like submit to human authorities and not do them in a way that is just begrudging and uh, I just got to do this because that's what Christians do, but in a way that really enables us to see this is for our good. And this is the way in which God will help to glorify him, his son and, and do good for the world. We could even put it in the, the way that Paul put it to us in Philippians 2. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only is all of this important to remember because of our identity as God's people, but also because the gospel we preach is a gospel of a crucified and resurrected Christ. That's a stumbling block to the world. It's a stumbling block to, to Jews and folly to Gentiles and to us who are called, though, it's the power of God, the power of our salvation, the wisdom of God, which is wiser and stronger than men. This Jesus who was crucified for us, this Jesus who suffered, is stronger and wiser than men. And we belong to him, so that as Jesus is above every rule and authority, uh, think about the way in which many months ago we heard from Daniel, he sets up kings and takes down kings. He's above every rule and authority. He's been given all authority in heaven on earth, and yet, he submitted himself to human institutions to gain your salvation, to win you and me to righteousness. And so we, who are free in him, who have, given, have been given every freedom uh, because we belong to Jesus, yet we submit to human institutions to win the world to Christ, to stop the slander of those who would slander the gospel and win many to righteousness in Jesus. So that's the key truth, I think, for, for this passage. In union with Christ, we've been given the freedom, the freedom to submit to human institutions for the purpose of doing good and overcoming evil for the life of the world. Well, let's see it in the text itself, why don't we? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. 
Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We'll pause there for just a minute. There are two important phrases right here at the start of our text. The, the first, of course, is be subject. Be subject. Other ways of putting this might be um, put yourself under or submit or obey. We are to subject ourselves to every human institution. But you got to notice the second phrase, the really second, uh, the, the really important phrase in this passage, and that's for the Lord's sake. This is what God says. We are to subject ourselves to every human institution for his sake. By every human institution, Peter, we, we see specifically means uh, the institution of government, the institution of government in his day and, and by implication in our day too. You see, we don't live in fear of what these institutions may do to us. We don't submit to them merely to get our own way. Rather, we submit to them for the Lord's sake. Everything we do for the Lord's sake is an act of worship, remember, because it demonstrates that we value something other than what the world values. We put our trust in him, and we put our trust in his promises that he is good for us. So our submission to the government of America is not for America's sake or for our sake. It's for the Lord's sake. And our submission demonstrates two important things. First, it demonstrates that we recognize God's purpose for civil government, for human government. It's to one of the means to restrain evil and to praise good. And of course, as Christians, we want good to be praised and we want evil to be restrained. We know that um, often, and we know this even from our own experience, that sometimes if there are no consequences, uh, for those at least of us who um, can remember the days in which we walked apart from the Lord and didn't have the Spirit working a different nature in us, if there were no consequences to our evil desires, there really wouldn't be much in the way of us being the most terrific people that we could possibly be. Um, and, and, and so civil government is one of the ways in which God puts a stop to that um, and, and praises good. He allows good to flourish and a measure of peace, especially for his church, to uh, be obtained so that we can be on mission with him to spread the gospel and win many to, to, to Christ. And so that is one of the means of the, of the civil government. So we want that. We want good to flourish, and we want evil to be restrained. And that's one of the means that God uses. So our submission to that demonstrates that we think that's important. As Christians, we don't think that our freedom in Christ means we can just do our own thing, or that all that stuff uh, we can just say, oh, fooey to that. I don't need any of that. I'm, I'm free in Christ, and so I'll just do my own thing. And because I have the Spirit, anything I do and anything I think must automatically be good. We, we don't have that attitude. We submit in obedience to Jesus for the Lord's sake. Now, does any government do that perfectly, though? Does any government restrain evil perfectly or praise good perfectly? Of course not. We, we could hardly say that. It may even seem, seem sometimes that many governments throughout history have done more to praise evil and restrain good. But we must remember that we are always to submit for the Lord's sake, and that means that we always evaluate these kinds of things by his standards. God's ordained civil government as a means, not a perfect means by far, but as a means to punish evil in the world and encourage good. And our submission demonstrates that as Christians, we're not a law unto ourselves. We want good to flourish for the life of the world. And second, our, our obedience to this command um, from the Lord, we see Peter say, will silence the slander of those who slander the gospel. This is, way, this is one of God's ways to stop slander, to show by the obedience of his people that slander against God and the work of the Spirit is foolish. And this reminds us again that we have a calling as God's people to something higher than our own uh, comfort in this world, our own advantage in this world. We have a calling to be ambassadors for Jesus. And in this case, our submission to proper human authority and government 
uh, glorifies God. It shows the world um, that we as Christians desire their good and that we don't think ourselves to be superior to them or to have uh, an inside track to human wisdom that we just got by our own efforts, our own merit. It shows them that we take seriously the calling we've been given by the Lord to do them good and to demonstrate to the world how good God has been to us and to help the family of God to grow bigger. And that's one of the ways that God uses to silence slander. As, as simple as it might seem, it's really profoundly effective. Even as we've seen from the history of the church, even in just the past 2,000 years, there, there's a historian in, in England named Tom Holland. He's not a believer, but he used to, or still is, I guess, a classicist. So he studies ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And he says that he used to think, as he would study these ancient figures like Cicero or Socrates or the like, he used to think, well, my attitudes, my ethics, the basic way that I orient myself in the world and uh, the, way, the reason I want to do good for my neighbor and I think government is basically a good thing and I'm, I'm basically, I consider myself to be a moral person, all of that comes because I've inherited the intellectual and, and the moral ethos of the Greeks and the Romans. But then as he really began to study more deeply some of these uh, figures and, and writings, he realized that's not the case at all. And then he stumbled upon the Apostle Paul and he realized, no, actually, the reason I swim in this cultural current that I do and take some of the things that I do for granted is because my culture and the way that even I grew up and think has been indelibly shaped by Pauline ethics, by, by the gospel. And, and that's not a, a remark about his wisdom. It's really a remark about the way in which God has fulfilled what Peter said he would, or the church would do by silencing slander, by the church being faithful to do good. That doesn't mean we did it perfectly, of course. But it does mean that as we were faithful, as the church was faithful, to be obedient to the Lord, not to assert our own way, but to be faithful in the day-by-day -day task we've been given to do, to do good for the life of the world, that we've shaped to some extent the, the culture that we swim in. And so that's what, uh, one of the means that God uses to grow the family of God, by our obedience. And so it's, it's very important. It may seem like a little thing, but our submission to human authority silences slander. It silences those who would speak negatively about the gospel. And so here's how we're to do it. Paul, or excuse me, Peter goes on to say, we're to honor everyone. We are especially to love the brotherhood, the, the brotherhood of saints, the church. We are only to fear God, and we are to honor the emperor. You can see the way in which Peter has um, kind of uh, gone against the grain of a lot of contemporary thinking in his day, because he's put honoring everyone and honoring the emperor on the same plane. And that would have seemed like a really shocking thing to his readers because they would have been conditioned to think of the emperor as a step above everyone else. So it might be fine to honor everyone, but you want to honor the emperor more, right? He actually claims to be divine in some sense, at least. And so how, how can we just honor the emperor and also honor everyone? Well, that's, that's a countercultural claim. But what Peter is saying here is we are to only to fear God. We are to give the emperor, or in our day, the president or the governor or any really, anyone who has a position of government authority over us, we're to give them honor. But we're not to worship them as divine. We're to only to fear God. And we are to especially love the church. So we don't treat the emperor as divine. We don't fear or worship him as a god. But we don't treat him with contempt or disparage or revile him. The same way God expected Christians in Peter's day to regard the emperor is the same way we are to regard those in civil authority over us. And this honor silences slander. Another application of this would be that we don't treat the emperor or Caesar or whoever happens to be in a position of authority over us as our savior, which can sometimes happen. We don't treat these people as the means for building up our own personal advantage and then keeping and getting it. 
which oftentimes when the church has done that, it hasn't ended very well for us because our, our witness has been compromised in many ways. Sometimes the, church, the, the world looks at the church when we have that attitude and they think they don't really love the world. They're not really interested in growing God's family. They're interested in their own advantage or their own uh, deal, what they've got going on. They want to keep it. So we're not to treat the, the state as, as Caesar uh, claimed to be, as, as our God, but we're to treat the Lord only as our God, and we're to fear him only. And when we do this, we silence slander. We help the gospel to get a fair hearing and a fair showing in our, in our society. And that means also that no matter what position we may, uh, we may have in society, whether we might be very lowly and, and not have much power, or may, maybe we have a lot of power, maybe we've been elected to public office, no matter where we are in that stream, we have the opportunity to participate in the mission that God has given us in the world. That, uh, and this is really an amazing thing when you really think about it, that all of us have been invited into the family of God and invited into his mission. And it doesn't depend upon our standing in society like so many other things in this world depend upon. Our, our, our ability to participate in that is, is really granted to us because we're God's child and, and we belong to him. So we could put it in the way, or we could think about it in the way that George Herbert uh, thought about it when he wrote this poem. I, I really love this, and it applies to so much more than just this uh, instance, but it applies to this too. Um, that in every area of life, no matter where we may be uh, or whatever uh, position in society we may have, we have the opportunity, to, opportunity to, to glorify God and to be involved in the work that he's called us to do. So he said, teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything, to do it as for thee. If done to obey thy laws, even servile labors shine. Hollowed is toil, if this the cause, the meanest work divine. The meanest work divine. That means the lowliest work divine the lowliest work. And so we've been given this calling to be involved in the work that God is doing and to really glorify and, and, and uh, to help to grow his kingdom in the world by being submissive to human authorities. Well, let's turn again to our text and see that we do this in imitation of Jesus. Peter goes on to say, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I think this raises an important question for us uh, right off the bat. We... we ought to ask ourselves, in what ways have we been, we been unjust? And how has the Lord's patience with us enabled us to see and repent of it? How has the patient forbearance of our friends and family, or maybe, maybe even co-workers, enabled us to see and repent of it? You see, Jesus, by his obedient suffering, overcame evil. And so, too, as a royal priesthood, we and a people who uh, are for God's own possession, uh, we have been called to imitate Jesus, and if necessary, by suffering. And, and through this, to win many others to righteousness. Um, 
And if we think about it, in, not so much in the, in the first instance as, well, here's what I've been called to do, so I just got to sort of grin and bear it, um, to, to suppress the first rising of, of justice that demands satisfaction or vindication when I've been wronged. But instead, remember to think about it in the way that Jesus was patient and forbade with us when we uh, were unjust to others. Or maybe we've seen it even in our own families or in the problems at work when we've messed up or haven't been on point maybe as much as we should have done. And, and others have been patient with us. And that's enabled us to see our mistakes and, and to be able to get back up and, and know that that's not the end of the story, to have new life in that. And that's really what we've, we've been called to imitate Jesus in. Jesus did the same with us. And so we've been given the privilege of imitating him in that, to, to submit to human authorities, not because we do it for their sake or we do it to try to get some advantage for our sake. We do it to imitate Jesus and, and, and to win many to righteousness through that, to, to show the same sort of patience and forbearance that Jesus showed. So again, remember that living as God's servant means being folded into the work he is doing to bring salvation and the blessing of his fellowship to the whole world and to all peoples, no matter what our station in life may be. And if obedience to Jesus is possible in suffering, it's possible in every circumstance we could ever happen or which we could ever dream. How are we to be an influence for good for the life of the world? By submitting to authority. This is, this is really so counter to the way we are naturally wired to think about things, maybe even especially as Americans. I'm not sure about that, but it seems that way. Um, we, de we demand our rights. We, we demand immediate vindication. Um, but this is not what God has called us to. Now, again, does this mean that we are never to directly challenge evil or address injustice when we see it? Of course not. It doesn't mean that we're meant to be passive about evil, but it does mean that every human authority we happen to be under or, or, or should we think that every human authority that we happen to be under is a just one? No, of course not. But notice the way that we are meant to go about addressing these things. We're meant to imitate Jesus, who entrusted himself to God. His first point of reference was not his own will, but the will of his Father. His aim was to win many to righteousness, and the cost was suffering. And so in the same way, our first point of reference must be the mission that we've been given by God. This means we've got to see ourselves, not as we once were, as people who've been given um, uh, a, a mission in life to try to get the most comfort we possibly can, or, or uh, uh, people who've been given a certain identity and a certain group of people, and so our job is to make sure that we just keep it all together and, and make sure that, that that legacy continues on for however long we can possibly get it to keep on. No, we've got to remember that our, our identity is in Christ. So we're free. That's the wonderful thing. We're free. We are as free as we could possibly hope to be. And we're free to belong to Jesus. And this is true of us, whether we're a slave in the first century or a middle-class employee in the 21st. And our freedom means now we have the ability and the privilege of joining in the mission of God's kingdom to win many to righteousness. So our freedom in Christ and our belonging to Christ also means that we can't be foolish in how we apply this text. Christians in church history have sometimes used this text wickedly to justify slavery. And that's a, a wicked application of this text because it ignores the basic premise. We've been given freedom in Christ to do good for the life of the world. You can't do good for the life of the world if you think that it gives you the justification to enslave somebody. That would be disobedient to um, what we've been called to do. Another misapplication would be to think that God calls us never to leave situations in which an authority over us is acting unjustly. That forgets that our subjection is for the Lord's sake. His word must direct 
uh, what doing good in every situation looks like. It's not going to look the same in every situation. Honoring someone in one situation might not be the way that you honor them in another situation. Um, we need wisdom, and we need the direction of the Holy Spirit, and we need an attitude that recognizes that God has the authority over us, and we, sub- we subject ourselves to every human authority for His sake. But it does mean it does mean that we can't assume that suffering isn't a part of our calling. On the contrary, it is often the way that we will best demonstrate to the world that following Jesus is better than everything the world has to offer. When we can let, as Martin Luther said in the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, we can let good and kindred go, this, mighty, or, um, this mortal life also, uh, the world will see that God's kingdom is better with us. It's the main thing with us than everything the world has to offer. And so this informs the way we use our freedom. We don't use our freedom to cast off all restraint and authority and go our own way. We use our freedom to put ourselves under authority to do good for the life of the world so that they may know Christ. Even when we suffer under authority, we should look to Jesus. Jesus entrusted himself to God who judges justly. So he, and what that means is he knew God, saw what he was going through, and he knew God cared. And he knew God was the, the final judge and the merciful judge, who, uh, the judge who shows no partiality. He trusted that his father cared about it, and he knew that his father had promised to put every wrong right, and that he is the just judge of the world who shows no partiality. So he had the freedom. He had the freedom to put himself under suffering, to put himself under subjection, in order that those who cursed and reviled him, namely us, would be healed and not judged. Hear what Wayne Grudem said about this. He said, um, This knowledge that God will ultimately right all wrongs is essential to a Christian response to suffering. For God has put within all of us a sense of justice, which will not allow us simply to forget wrongs suffered for which we think there will be no punishment for those who've done them. But committing the situation to God, knowing that ultimately the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality, means that our sense of wrongs suffered can be put at rest and enables us then to imitate Jesus in praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We thus seek for the wrongdoers not forgiveness without cost, which is impossible in God's universe, but forgiveness paid for by the great cost of the blood of Christ. So that's one of the implications of what it means to be folded into the, the, the mission of God. That we don't seek um, a justice which is really no justice, which just papers over wrongs done. We seek instead for every um, action in the world to be either um, judged at the last day by the just judge who shows no partiality or covered, mercifully covered, in the blood of Jesus. And that is our aim for the world. Our aim for the world is, is to recognize that that is, that is the mission of God. That's where the kingdom of God is aiming. That's the trajectory of, of this whole world. Is sometimes as hard as it is to see, as hard as it is, as it is to believe, that the trajectory of the whole world is towards the judgment that is coming. And, 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 and the good news of the gospel is that, that our sins, the, the wrong that we have done, have been covered by the blood of Jesus, and we want that for the world too. So our submission to authority, our, uh, our refusing sometimes to return and seek uh, an apparent vindication in the way that we return insult for insult, or reviling for reviling, or just maybe join in the general mayhem of, of people who uh, demand their rights, demand to be heard, um, uh, demonstrates that we want for the world something better than that. We want for the world to, be, uh, to, to come to the gospel, to know that Jesus covers their sins fully if they will put their trust in him, and there's no partiality with God. And so that is our aim. 
That is our aim as Christian people of God, to be folded into the, uh, to, to recognize that we've been folded into the mission of God and to be faithful um, in the ways that he's called us to be faithful, to be faithful in the hard and difficult road, sometimes it is, to put ourselves in subjection to human authority. But to recognize we don't do it for the world's sake or for our own sake. We do it for the Lord's sake. So how have we been unjust? To reflect on that and to recognize the Lord's been patient and he's been forbearing with us, and others have been forbearing with us, to recognize that in the same way, we ought to be patient and forbearing with others, and to follow Jesus in the difficult road sometimes of suffering, to follow Jesus in the difficult road of putting ourselves under authority, even when um, we feel that this is not how God's people should be treated, or this is not how I should be treated as uh, a middle-class American in the 21st century, or we feel that this is just so contrary to the good promises of God, but instead to recognize that that is the way in which we are often um, called to imitate the Lord and to be folded into the mission that he has given us as, as people who, as ambassadors of Jesus, help the family of God to grow bigger because we show in the way um, that we respond to events, we show in the way that we value things, we show in the way that we talk to one another, we show in the way that especially that we love one another and cultivate unity, um, that there's something different about us, there's, there's something better in following Jesus, that there's pleasures forevermore to be found at his right hand. And that's different from the things that the world um, pursues, even different from the things that we, we often pursued when we were far from the Lord and, and didn't believe in Him, when we tried to get our own advantage, tried to build things up in our own strength, um, and, and couldn't stand anyone who would get in the way of that, and often uh, were snarky or, or just plain old unkind, or didn't sub subject ourselves to proper human authority, and, and so didn't present a very good witness for the gospel. But instead, we've been called to something much different. So may that be our goal, too. May that um, invite us into a better recognition of, of the way in which God works through us and, and in us. Um, oftentimes, it's just amazing to reflect upon the fact that God doesn't call us as Christians right outside of the things that we experience in this world. He doesn't call us as Christians then to, to leave government aside or to, to form our own communes or um, uh, to have this, a different way of, of life. He, he calls us instead to reimagine uh, or to see things differently, to see things from his perspective and to go back into the world with a calling from him and trusting in his promises that he will uh, see everything, and that he cares about all things, and that he is for us in, in every good way. Just as we remembered from the Heidelberg Catechism, that he cares for us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head without the will of his Father. Not even a hair can fall from our head. There's nothing else that can ever happen to us, and no other circumstance we can ever be in that he doesn't care about, or that will not ultimately be righted at the last day. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that um, in it we see things anew, um, that there are, it seems, a thousand different ways in which it applies to our lives in ways that seem so counterintuitive sometimes to the way we're just naturally wired to think about things. So, Lord, help us to be gospel people, to really have this message of who we are and whose we are, to sink down deep into our bones and stick to our ribs so that we would um, act and think and live in a way that enables others to see that you are better than the fleeting pleasures of Egypt. You are better than all the things we could pursue in our own strength. May we be people who imitate Jesus in um, subjecting ourselves to human authority, even suffering if necessary, Lord, knowing that we entrust ourselves to you and you care about these things. And you're using our submission to silence slander against the gospel and to grow your kingdom. And that's, Lord, most of all what we want to see. For your will be, to be done and um, your kingdom to come, and the world to know that you are Lord and you are good and that there is a safe, faithful Savior in King Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.